Everyone's so busy keeping up. Forget about the Joneses. We all on our telephones with the texts and the tweets and the beats. What he said, she said, can't even follow the thread. Down the hole, we all go. Me, I like keeping up too with my corona and my attitude. That's La Vida Masfina. Relax responsibly. Corona Extra Beer. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. You know, maybe it's time, guys, for me to just start agreeing with the angry fan who thinks that every pitcher should be given every opportunity to throw a no-hitter. Let them throw 180 pitches. Let them just never be able to walk to the mound again in their lives. Just give us the one no-hitter so we can feel good about ourselves, right? Isn't that the logical way to pro- progress here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I, was, I, I will say this. The, the, I think the, your key phrase there is so that everybody feels good about themselves. Um, because it, on so many levels, when people are mad, uh, it really is about how it makes them feel inside. And that's why they get so angry. That's why they get angry at the Vikings. That's why they get angry. at you know, when the Vikings lose, that's why they get angry at, at, uh, cousins. That's why they get angry at the twins front office for, and Polas for being cheap. It's all about this. This I don't think this makes me feel bad and it's your fault. No doubt, and we got we got a whiff of that. Uh, it was late in the year. Which twins pitcher had was Fortin with a no no, and I uh, ended up arguing with people on Twitter for like three days. Joe uh, Ryan, right? Joe Ryan. Ryan, yep, yeah. And um, I think they pulled him. He hadn't thrown a hundred pitches yet, and they're like, "Give him a chance. Uh, get no, give us this chance. Let us let us have our fun <laughs> here. We deserve yes. to see a no hitter because this terrible season the Twins are having. Uh, we deserve this. Why is this being taken away from us?" Uh, Rocco overmanages. Uh, twins are cheap. Blah blah blah. They baby their pitchers. Blah blah blah. Um, and uh, I think it started at the beginning of the year. Uh, Jim, I think you wrote a comment. Uh, uh, people were mad because Kershaw was lifted. Kershaw when he was pitching a noise. Right? pulled Kershaw, yeah. a guy coming off an injury who's going to who we thought right. might be key to their postseason. Uh, in and, April, you know, he's pitching in April. He's pitching barely in, pitching, pitching in thirty eight. Pitching in thirty eight degrees. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I just wrote, you know, and I, that was my column is a, of course, you're not going to let Kershaw throw 160 pitches in the situation and B, why do you care so much? You know, it, right. uh, is it, right. I mean, is it's it, all about everything in life and sports is percentages and risk reward. And why would you risk the career of a great pitcher? So you can have like eight hours where you feel good about baseball. Absolutely, Jim. Um, so they can say, I was, I witnessed an old hit or I watched an old hit on TV. I mean, yeah, yeah. I was there I was or there. I watched on TV or I watched on TV and I can say, I can pretend I was there. Uh, yeah. Just, and, and yeah the but thing you know about- guys, I, I, re- I read a lot of people that are in your industry, whether they're and most, you know, writers, but a lot of, a lot of these guys that, you know, that want to be experts on television or radio or whatever. But specifically about that Kershaw, it, the, the theme was, you know, how can you, den- yeah, just exactly what you said, how can you deny it, you know, us the chance to witness history, you know, and how can you deny this guy? They don't happen. It happens so, so infrequently 
how can you not give this guy every opportunity to, you know, to do, you know, to do that. And it's, it's so, it's so self-focused. It was really about, um, it's okay if you ruin this guy's arm or, or his, the season for you as a team so that history might get And I mean, I just think that's, that, that premise is a fallacy. That's why there are managers. Managers have to make decisions based on short and long-term uh, benefits to the player and the club and uh, instead of fans who just want to um, make sure that uh, the, the best and earning team is batting third, the power here is batting fourth, and the, and the staff face you know, pitches 150 pitches a game. Um, that's why you have managers have to make these decisions. And, you know, it, it depends on the timing, too. I mean, you know, Johan Santana had a chance to throw a no-hitter for the Mets, and it was great. Um, but that was probably the last year he was really effective as a pitcher. It ruined um, him. Yeah, yeah. I'm, but I'm sure Johan, you know, uh, cherished, that, cherished that moment uh, sure. of being able to uh, to achieve that. But, you know, there was a uh, – there was there was a it did come at a cost because the Mets already were pitching him way more than the Twins ever did. Rick Anderson was really careful about not letting Johan go past 110, 120 pitches. He was throwing 130 and just going deep into games every start. They they used, they treated him like a workhorse and he really wasn't. Um, but he did have his no no and the the Mets had their moment because I think that was the first no hitter in Mets history. Which is crazy, considering the the talent of pitchers they've had through the years. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, these things aren't easy. It's not push button, and you you got to consider so many different things when you're dealing with today's pitchers and the amount of in- injuries there are, and where you're at in the standings, and what time of year it is, and and uh, and, and what's at stake uh, to make these decisions. And it's it's not easy. But fans don't want to hear that. Well, and Roy just made a really good point that I want to get to. Let me introduce the actual show. This is Chin Music. This is our baseball show at TalkNorth.com. Our producer is Brandon Morton. Best way to listen, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's easy. You can always go to TalkNorth.com, see the shows, the archives of the shows, all the shows on all the other sports, tons of hockey, tons of football with the Vikings being really good right now, the John Krasinski show, Russo, everybody else. On this show, we have Roy Smalley, former Twins great, now Twins broadcaster, Lavelle Neal, Star Tribune columnist. I'm Jim Suham from the Star Tribune, and we do appreciate you listening. Roy, Roy, you made a really good point. When I said fan, I what I mean when I say fan, I mean people who are kind of outside looking in, and that does include a lot of writers, a lot of people in my industry. You're absolutely right. The national the national reaction from writers, not fans, from writers was you must have to make history, and whatever it takes, you have to make history, and that's freaking crazy. Uh, and let's take the most recent example. Javier throws six innings of no-hit ball, throws 97 pitches. Uh, Abreu, Montero, and Presley finish it off. They have a combined no-hitter. Uh, Javier threw 97 pitches through six innings. When Don Larson threw the only perfect game in World Series history, the only no-hitter in World Series history, he threw 97 pitches over nine innings. And that's how different the games are. People back then were willing to swing at the first pitch. It gave you a chance. Uh, it's not like they extended Larson. He got to pitch, not throw 97 pitches and pitch a, a perfect game. Javier uh, was throwing about 16 pitches per inning. As you get, yeah, tired, I mean, that's, that's such get, a good point. That's such a good point. Yeah. And, and I want to just make one other um, 
aside about what, what about what you said about Larson and and the hitters in in that era. Not only were they willing to swing early in the count, but they had swing planes that made contact more often. Right. You didn't see right. people striking out. Uh, you know, Larson throwing ninety seven pitches in a nine inning perfect game. He didn't strike too many guys out. I mean, he was put. They put the ball in play, uh, and so it was. Uh, it, it you know it, it totally totally different. It's gonna make gonna make it harder and harder for all of us to say you know starters ought to go you know longer because you know there are just more pitches thrown for both uh, the pitcher's fault and hitter's fault. I mean that's just the way it is now. And the other thing here is that uh, so Javier throws ninety seven pitches over six innings. Generally, pitchers as they tire lose a little bit of command. So he might not have been as efficient as 16 pitches per inning. But if he had stayed on that program, it would have required him between 145 and 150 pitches to complete a no-hitter. Young pitcher, usually not extended that way, pitching under great pressure. And not only could you ruin the guy by having him throw 150 pitches under these circumstances, but he could also you could also get to the ninth inning and he gives up a hit and you've had him throw 150 pitches for no, no good reason. Right. Yeah, so the, a couple of things about about that, Jim, um, and I just I, I agree with everything that you're, you know, that you're that you're saying. But don't think that Dusty Baker and the pitching coach didn't know what uh, the average the pitch count w- would have to be to have him finish. They knew exactly what you're saying. He's gonna, yep. he's, if we let him in there, he's going to throw 160 pitches. Oh no, he's not. You know, we're regarded. I mean, if he had one hitter at the time, they wouldn't let him. They, they would have would have taken him out. It wasn't. It, it wasn't about effectiveness. So uh, you know, that's that's point number one. They knew where this was where this was headed. If he had thrown sixty pitches, he'd still be in there, right? I mean, that, that's, right. I don't know if there's any question about that. The, you know, but the, the second thing is now, you know, fans, writers, you know, whoever, put yourself in the in the manager and the results of that game just just bears dusty baker out here are the three guys i got coming in you know what are the odds of my throwing uh, my guys throwing a no hitter javier going nine or javier going six and then we and then we got a Brady montero and presley you know i mean he he knows exactly it was a it was a must win uh for them it was a must protect this good young pitcher that I have. It was uh, there's going to come a time here very soon when he's thrown enough pitches, regardless of the outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got these three guys lined up. Uh, it, it just you know, what's the question? <laughs> that um that may have changed the scope of the whole series too, um, because yeah. I thought Houston really took a punch in the gut in Game One when they were left by nothing with Verlander on the mound. And they gave the lead back and lost in 10 innings. I was like, uh-oh, uh, the cardiac Phillies are, you know, got the first lick in. And this, this could be, we could be looking at an upset here. That that uh, no-hitter, I think, reset the whole series. And then we saw yesterday's game. Um, uh, Jose Altuve, it's the first pitch of the game for a double and goes a third on the triple. Jim, I still maintain, I don't know if you've covered a, a, a game there. Roy, I don't know if you've broadcasted a game in that stadium. There was a jet stream that blows out the right center uh, just to the right of that scoreboard. I saw Joe Maurer hit a 460-foot homer in that ballpark, <laughs> which I've never saw again. So I, I'm convinced uh, when you get a hit a ball to that part of the ballpark, it just carries. And Otuve hit the first pitch of the game. I said, it's in the jet stream. And sure enough, it flew off the wall and deflected past the uh, this the center fielder. And then 
uh, Pena, who's made everybody forget about Carlos Correa in Houston, you know, added a home run. Um, and now they're on the verge of winning. So uh, Dusty handled uh, the no-hitter game perfectly, and he and it changed the series around, and now uh, the Astros are one game away. And you know, speaking of, speaking of managers, uh, just speaking of managers and, ha- and how Dusty's managed, uh, I thought it was, it was key uh, that he brought um, – Abreu in. Neris is Neris is really good. He's got Neris pitching. He gets two outs and then uh, get, uh, gets uh, a guy on with uh, Schwarber or maybe even two with Schwarber coming up. And you know to go to the two things that you know Dusty wasn't afraid to do have Abreu pitch a four out hold and uh, Presley pitch a five out. Save and I thought the I thought getting Naris out of there and going with a, you know a nasty Abreu stuff in the in the big you know in the, in the biggest spot of the game uh, there was Schwarber coming up I mean that could have been a three run home run and um, you know not that not that Naris isn't good but Dusty Dusty knows who which pitchers he has that he wants pitching to which Philly hitters in which situations and I I thought he managed really really well last night. No doubt. Hey, let's uh, thank Corona, the official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins, the presenting sponsor of the Chin Music Show here at TalkNorth.com. Uh, check out Corona. Drink Corona. Support our podcast. Support our podcast network. We do appreciate it. Thank you very much. If you'd like to advertise with this show or anywhere on the network as we continue to grow, you can reach Karen Cleary at K-C-L-E-A-R-Y at TalkNorth.com. We also do live shows. We did the John Krasinski show at Headfire Brewing recently. Literally drew hundreds of people. It was probably the biggest show our network's ever done, and we've done a lot of big ones. So thanks again for the support. We do appreciate it. So let's transition a little bit to talk about managers because I find it really interesting. We're supposedly in the era of modern analytics-driven managers, some of whom have to just do what their general manager tells them to do. And yet we keep seeing success from people who could, you know, either rightly or wrongly are accused of being old school. Dusty Baker seems old school. Rob Thompson has been around the game for a long time. You could assume he's old school. But I don't know. I think the best managers kind of take the new information, but still manage the way they manage. And Terry Francona is one of the greatest examples of that. I mean, he's yeah. he worked for an analytics-driven uh, – he's worked for analytics-driven front offices in Boston and in Cleveland, and yet he's not a guy who pulls out a calculator every time he makes a move. Let's start with Lavelle this time. Yeah, I think I think D- D- Dusty's adapted a little bit. I mean, yeah. you know, old Dusty used to be known as a guy who would just wear down a bullpen. If, the guy, if he had a hot hand in that bullpen – that guy was coming in every night, you know, and I think he's, ad- I think he's adapted uh, to, you know, being a little more flexible. And uh, actually I tell you, I think I mentioned the story before I told it again. Um, when um, Brandon Kinsler was traded from the twins to the nationals at the deadline, um, 2016, ah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Dusty calls him into the office and he was like, Brandon, look, um, we got to get some things straightened here. I'm sure you've heard, some some things about me and about how I uh, handle pitchers and how I handle bullpens. And I just want to let you know, everything you've heard is exactly true. If you do not <laughs> tell me that you need a day off, I'm going to have you warming up and I'm going to have you in the game. So you got to tell me what you need a day off. And so, mm-hmm. and so uh, uh, but I, I think it's changed a little bit since then now. Um, plus, you got quality arms up and down that Astros bullpen, so it's not that difficult to uh, to try someone different. Uh 
in a day. But yeah, it's amazing. I mean, Bruce Bochy back in the game, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you think these guys are going to retire uh, and stay retired. No, Dusty's come back. Bruce Bochy's come back. Larusa shouldn't have come back, <laughs> but they but they all have. It's rather remarkable in this day and age uh, with analytics and geeks and and printouts and and algorithms that uh, the crusty old um, manager is still getting uh, jobs in, in Major League Baseball. You know, it's it's just a tribute to uh, good managers, and my my definition of good is. Uh, in, in this day and age, being able to look at the analytics and the data and have that mean something to them within the framework of how they know how to manage a game, use their own intelligence, experience, and gut to manage the game with the uh, assistance of analytics, but not with the dominance of, of, of analytics, uh, be able to run the clubhouse and, and have, have guys uh, – want to run through, uh, you know, run through balls for you. And as a part of that, it's the kinds of conversations with individual players that Dusty had with Kinsler, exactly, exactly the the point. And, and so, you know, why are these old school guys, you know, coming back and being successful in an era of analytics because of the other factors that make up the definition of good. And mm-hmm. when you say, manager it's not i mean anybody can read data and and do and 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 just make all the based on what the analytics say and then when it doesn't work out say hey you know i mean it's that's, that's just the it, the analytics didn't work this time but but they work most of the time so that's what we're going to do and good managers you know, say nope this is what i think needs to happen right now because i know my guy against this other guy and that's that's what I want to have uh, happen, you know. So, I think it's all about the definition. And one more, one more thing too. Uh, it, it's not for everybody. I mean, Gardy stopped managing, you know, because of the reliance on analytics. And he was telling me a story about how you know he had one of those research people in his office. He's like, "We need to get Pitcher X to improve his spin rate on his slider." And Gardy responded, "All right, well, what was your slider grip?" He said, "What are you talking about? No, show me your slider grip." And the guy was like. I've never pitched. I've never thrown a slider. And Guardy's like, I got a guy who who's never thrown a baseball <laughs> telling me about spin rates, you know, and how he's got to get his pitches to, th- to add spin rates to the slider. And it and he, that was just a signal to him that you know that maybe he should just go lay by the pool. So it's not for everybody. <laughs> yeah, you know that's, it, that. I just I love that story, Lavelle, and I and I and the, the point is not as crusty and old school as he's never played, so he he doesn't know anything. But I mean, it, the point is that the analytics people become. I mean, it, it, show me. I, I, here's the analytics guy that I want. I want the guy that walks into Gardy's office and says. Uh, this guy's key pitch, one of his key pitches is a slider and his spin rate relative to, you know, the really great sliders in the league is not, you know, not as good. Is it possible? Do you think it's possible for this guy to improve his spin rate somehow on a slider? You know, what's wrong with that? Right. You know, yeah. you know talk to talk to the manager and the pitching coach and say, um, here's what we know about spin rate on sliders. And here's this guy's. And, and if you think this is a key pitch for him. Do you think it's possible to improve the spin rate? I mean, I, that's that's the kind of analytics guy I want. 
Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Everything has to be applicable. And and that's, mm-hmm. you know, listen, that's where I give uh, Falvey some credit. You know, I've had a lot of long conversations with him and he's not a, you know, it, it, well, it's interesting. I'll throw it up to you guys for discussion because when I talk to Falvey and when I talk to Baldelli, when I talk to other people in the organization, what they tell me is, hey, they just want to find the, a path to improving players. And sometimes it gets wonky, but they also want the information to be easily accessible and understandable for the average player. They want things to be boiled down by the time it reaches the player, that it's something that's easily actionable. They can say, okay, yeah, do this and do that. And this will help you. And it'll be good for your career. It'll be good for our team and all that. But you know, that's what I hear. Roy, do you hear different? Do you think this front office or the twins are are too, uh, I guess, too wonky, if you want to use that word? Yeah, so I don't know the answer to that because I make it my business not to have it be my business of, of hanging around and talking to you know people about all kinds of stuff, especially in the clubhouse. I've talked with Falvey and, and Levine a bit about different things, but he. So I don't really know. But here's here's one thing that troubled troubled me, and you guys know how I feel about uh, about this particular subject matter. I think guys throw too many breaking balls uh, generally, but too many breaking balls in situations where fastball can be very effective. And this is, st- this is getting to a little bit old school versus, versus analytics. But I was mm-hmm. talking to some uh, twins staff people, and I won't name any names, but I was talking to the twins staff people and <clears throat> saying – exactly what I just said. And one of them said, Roy, you're, you're not right. about it. In effect, you're not right about this because you can look at every piece of analytics that there is, every single one, and guys get hurt on the fastball more than hurt on breaking balls. And so, and so what that said to me was, very, very generous to me, we're just going to throw more breaking balls. We're going to do – we want the guys to spin the ball. Okay. I get that, and as far as that analysis goes, maybe that is true. But I will tell you that against certain hitters, look at look at what they're what the Houston guys are doing to um, uh, to the to uh, Bryce Harper and um, and some of these other guys. They're throwing them high fastballs, and they're not catching up. And if they make sure, if you make a mistake with a fastball with guys like Harper, they're looking looking for them in the middle of the plate. They're gonna they're gonna do some damage, but. But you can't tell me that Bryce Harper does more damage against the Houston Astros on fastballs than he does against breaking balls or anybody else in the postseason because he has killed breaking ball strikes, absolutely killed them. Hit 400, yeah. whatever it is, 368, 400 in the world, whatever it was. He's doing it on break, mostly on breaking balls. And so my point is the perfect breaking ball might be a good pitch to Bryce Harper, but high fastballs, and especially in, you know, in off the plate, high fastball is a better pitch. Mm-hmm. It, it just is. And there's going to be situations, and we've seen them during the course of the Twins season, where there are certain guys that uh, they pitch, if they pitch up in the zone, for example, they get guys out. If they pitch in the middle of the zone, they don't. There are certain guys that they, they want to spin the ball, but when they got a guy that can't hit a high ball, if he doesn't throw it up there, he, he throws something ultimately spinning in the middle of the plate. And it, over the fence, and so there's there's nuances to these to this analytics. And that to answer your question, Jim, after this long you know rant here, <laughs> I don't know. It just that made me feel like 
there tends to be a little bit too much reliance on analytics and not just the eye test of what can this guy hit or not hit. I don't care that generally across baseball that guys hit breaking ball better. Okay, I get it. Guys are having big, long swings and their bats slow. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, or I'm sure, I'm sorry, they hit fastballs better. But breaking balls get hit a long ways and, and get hit consistently by certain guys. And you can't be afraid to throw fastballs. And that's what it, that's what it feels like to me the message has become. Gosh, only throw your fastball off the plate or to really surprise somebody, then go right back mm. to that. Yep, the um, I know the Twins. They're a proponent of if your best pitch is a splitter or or a slider, you should throw it more often. And they did that when they had Fernando Rodney, and Fernando Rodney's a changeup guy. So Fernando was like leading starting hitters off with his changeup, and then backing it up with a second pitch. And I'm sitting there going, "Wow, you know that's rather interesting." And so it's just it's it's fascinating to see their approach to how to approach hitters these days. Uh, hiding the fastball has become in vogue. You know, uh, Lavelle, last night in the game when, uh, for the Phillies, uh, the pitcher for the Phillies, Brogdon, or however you pronounce his name, um, he's got long, lanky um, uh, guy, throws 96. It has a great changeup. And i got to tell you, he has a great changeup. I was thinking about this last night. You know, on every level that you need to have a good changeup in terms of where he throws it location-wise, what the fade is, on, you know, the movement is. But and and primarily the most important thing is what's your arm speed on your fastball and your arm speed on your changeup, and it looks identical. I mean, I I, I sat there thinking, man, would I have trouble with that pitch hitting that changeup uh, because of the arm speed relative to fastball. But again, it's relative to fastball, and you gotta you got to establish in a hitter's mind he's throwing ninety six. You throw it up there ninety six up in the zone. And the hitter goes, oh, goodness, I, I got to speed it up here. And then as soon as you got a little bit of that thought in the hitter's mind, then the speed up means you can't, you're not going to hit the changeup on the same arm speed uh, when he throws a changeup. And he threw enough fastballs early on. He threw changeups early. He threw fastballs early. He struck guys out on high fastballs. And it was all because of the, of the mix and the, the idea of the changeup being the change of pace off the fastball. I mean, it's just – it's what the pitch is, and I don't care if it's your best pitch. If there's no pace established, there's no change of pace. There you go. I think uh, this is a good lead-in to maybe next week's podcast. I think there's a lot more meat on this bone, and I don't want to start this discussion now. So let's get more into that. Twins analytics, how it's working internally. Because I hear both sides. I hear uh, people saying, hey, this we're – we're doing things the right way and we have faith in it. And I also hear people in the organization going, God, it's, it, you know, exact, basically exactly what Roy said. So we'll get it more into that next week. For this week, uh, I have a, a special topic to raise with Lavelle. Do you want to remind you, Corona is the imp- official import beer sponsor of the Minnesota Twins, the presenting sponsor of the Chin Music Show here at TalkNorth.com. Thanks again to Corona. Thanks to everyone who listens. So Lavelle, what's your, what's your musical selection or recommendation of the week? Huh, well, uh, last night, actually, I uh, uh, queued up a Joe Bonamassa song, Never Make Your Move Too Soon, and uh, sat there and, and listened to that for a little bit uh, in advance of Joe Bonamassa is performing uh, next weekend, not this weekend, next weekend, uh, two shows at the Orifium. And uh, I was able to hop online and get tickets to the Friday night Um the Friday night uh, event. So I'm really looking forward to going to watch one of the best living guitarists play 
um, in live and in person. I can't wait to get there. So I texted my buddy, who's a big music guy. I said, I just got tickets for Joe Bonamassa on on November 11th. And he was like, we just got tickets too. And I said, well, to who? And go, Kenny Wayne Shepard. I said, where's he playing at? I said, they said, Mystic Lake. I said, they just went on sale today. I said, you're kidding. Oh, wow. They're playing so the I same went, night? I, no, not the same night. They, okay. Kenny Wayne Shepard just happened to, his tickets went on sale the same day I bought Joe Bonamassa tickets. And so I hopped online. Kenny Wayne Shepard's playing at Mystic Lake on March 19th. And I bought two tickets for that. So uh, uh, I'm fired up. Of course, March is a long way away. And hopefully I don't have spring training duties. <laughs> but uh, uh, I am looking forward to Joe Bonamassa on um, uh, a week from uh, tomorrow. And yes, go online, check out, never make a move too soon. He makes guitar playing look so easy. It's so smooth. And he's got a great voice too. Uh, Joe Bonamassa. Uh, he is a great player. And, and I, what I also like, those guys are both really cool guys, both Kenny Wayne Shepard and Bonamassa. Bonamassa is the ultimate gear geek. He just loves vintage gear and talking about it, showing it off. And he's just one of those guys who lives for, I mean, you know, he's one of those guys who, if he hadn't made it, he'd be doing exactly the same thing. He'd be sitting in his basement playing every yeah. guitar he could afford to buy. Yep. You get that feeling with Kenny Wayne Shepard too. I mean, yep. I, same I vibe. I frequently listen to Born with a Broken Heart and just listen to him go bananas on that one. It's just, oh, he's so t- damn talented. I, I'm really fired up about going to Mystic Lake on the 19th of March. I'm telling you that. That's going to be a hell of a show. Roy, any final thoughts? Well, just a, another note about uh, Bonamassa because I, uh, I, I think he's terrific as well. And, and, uh, but what I liked when you, you said that uh, these guys are good guys Bonamassa did a, has done a thing, and I don't know if he's still doing it, but on uh, Bluesville on Sirius and uh, Satellite Radio. Yep. And it, it, it's uh, I forget the name of it, but it's uh, uh, what they call his little show. But he does like an hour uh, a week, and what I and he plays it's like songs that really mean something to him. You know, guys that he admires, songs that he thinks are great. You know, just blue. Stuff that, and what I was so impressed with his personality comes out in this deal, and he he loved just what you said, Jim. Not only is he a you know gearhead in terms of that, he's a blues player guy. I mean, he he's like a he in the show. He's like a manager that loves his players, right? He talks about mm-hmm. the song and talk about what a great guy this this guy is, and what a great guitarist he is, and what he does to make him. You know what? What it is about his particular characteristics that makes him great. I mean, and it's so selfless and so non-self-focused when he does this. He just—it's like he—he—he's happiest when he's talking about other guy, how great other guys are. And you know, just—you know—that that kind of personality is always impresses me. And I've always considered myself to be somewhat of an amateur music historian. I've always just watched every documentary, read everything I can about, you know, the origins of American music and jazz and rock and everything else. And the great thing about Sirius is you can listen to Steve Van Zandt's show. You can listen listen to the other people Van Zandt has on his stations. You listen to Springsteen do uh, his DJ thing. You can listen to Tom Petty's uh, Buried Treasure. You listen to Bonamassa. And... They know so much more than I could ever know. They promote mm-hmm. the the originals. They tell you who really invented this lick or this riff, who really drove 
the development of music in America. They give credit to all the people who deserve it. it it's fantastic. And, and all of them are, are amazing at doing that. Wow. All right. That's good for this week. Next week, we'll get more into analytics, the good, the bad, the, the uh, questionable. Uh, once again, thanks to Roy. Thanks to Lavelle. <laughs> thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. And we'll talk to you next week. And uh, we'll try to, once again, make you really angry about all this stuff. <laughs> 